0: This ingredient has been uh, thought to be just foundational and vi- vital by all the great revivalists, such as Charles Finney. And this ingredient is something that is very, very, very hard for me to do. And it's especially hard for women. Woo! <laughs> and it's especially hard for men. And it's especially hard, especially, especially for teenagers. And it's especially hard for children. So I guess, you know, it's really, can be really hard for everybody. Today we're going to talk about repentance. Repentance. Repentance simply means that you're going one way and you turn around and go the other. So this is repentance. Got it? Okay, I'm done. <laughs> No, in other words, we're sinning, we're doing something that's sinful, we realize it and we turn around and we go back the other way toward God. That's what repentance is. It's the simplest way to put it. To repent, we have to understand the awfulness of our sin, our need for Christ and his forgiveness, and have a resolve to serve God. Repentance is a fundamental doctrine of the Bible mentioned in Hebrews 6. So it's really, 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 really important to God. Our repentance is really important to God. John the Baptist's ministry started with the word repent. In Matthew and Mark, it's recorded that Jesus started his ministry with the word repent. Peter, when he preached on the day of Pentecost, His first message, he ended it with repent, and 3,000 people were saved. So repentance is really, really important, isn't it? Repentance in our day and age has become really very non-essential. People are told, just pray this prayer, Jesus, come into my life. And they believe that they're saved, but there's no new birth, and there's no evidence of a new birth. There's no changed life. In our society, uh, sin doesn't really exist. I don't know if you all have noticed that. Everything is either uh, what used to be called, sin is now called a disorder, a syndrome, a dysfunction, an addiction. Um, It's a result, of course, of their parents. (laughs) Or I was just born this way. We know that there, of course, are real psychiatric disorders and conditions, but, you know, if you watch the news, it's almost become hilarious what the psychiatric community will come up with for their new disorders and new definitions of disorders that are really people just sinning, but they can't call it sin. They have to call it a disorder that, you know, it's an illness, so we need to treat it with medicine or with therapy. There's no uh, treating sin with repentance. The best current example of this is... Um, The affluenza teen, I don't know if you all know about that, but he was 16 years old, he was driving drunk, and he was speeding, he killed four people and injured others, and his defense, when he was at uh, the sentencing phase of his trial, his defense said, he's not really responsible, it's his parents' fault because he was pampered too much. It wasn't sin, he wasn't responsible, it was somebody else's fault. So in our day and age, if we're greedy, is greedy a sin? Yes, but it's not anymore. It's because our parents gave us too much when we were kids. If we're lazy, it's because we had to work too hard when we were kids. If we're violent, it's because of the media. If we loot and burn and steal, it's because we're angry and frustrated. If a wife controls the household, it's because her husband is too weak. It's his fault, not mine. If a husband doesn't take leadership in his family... It's because his wife is too controlling. It's always somebody else's fault. In our world today, it's never our fault. Sin is never addressed as sin, many times even inside of the church walls. So let's turn to First John, uh, the first chapter, the eighth verse. And I'm going to be using the New Living Translation. The Bible doesn't address sin as a dysfunction or as an illness or as a You know, our brain balances off. The Bible uses the word sin and tells us we need to repent of it. In the Bible, sinners are told to repent and Christians are told to repent. A lot of times, sometimes there's teaching going on that Christians no longer need to repent because they're washed in the blood of Jesus. But Christians do sin and Christians do need to repent. Let's read this. 1 John 1.8. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So we can see here that the Bible to Christians addresses sin We sin at times, and we need to confess it to God, and he forgives us. Isn't that wonderful? And then if we go about our daily lives day after day after day, and we never recognize that we've sinned, we never acknowledge that we've sinned, the Bible calls us a liar. So we've added another sin to our list. (laughs) So you might say, well, what is sin? You know, a lot of times we think, well, sin is Murdering, stealing, lying, cheating. But when you read the Bible, it it gives you a clear definition of sin. Let's look at this uh, definition of sin. Sin is a falling away or a missing the right path. The underlying idea of sin is that of a law and of a lawgiver. The lawgiver is God. Sin is everything in our thoughts and actions that is contrary to the expressed Will of God that can be found in His Word, the Bible. So that gives a really clear definition of sin, doesn't it? That sin is defined by the Bible. Sin is defined by the Word of God. Um, in James 4:17, it says, "Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and not not to and then not to do it." And how many of us have been found in that position before? We know what's right to do, but we just don't do it. And the Bible calls that sin. Um, When we God has given us just the most awesome gift. He knows that we have weaknesses and we have failures, doesn't He? And when we repent of sin, just the most awesome and wonderful miracle happens. The blood of Jesus washes that sin away, and we're forgiven, and it's completely and totally gone. We have such a great and precious gift with God. I'm going to read a quote from Tony Cook. Tony Cook has said that if the God you serve allows you to rationalize carnality, make light of disobedience, and feel comfortable in sin, you are serving a God of your own making, not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't fabricate a God that your flesh is comfortable with. And how many times do we do that? We're so surrounded by sinful things all the time in the media, and maybe our friends or relatives or the people we work with, that we just get a different picture of what's right and wrong. But if we get into the word of God, we can see what God says is right and wrong. And that's where we need to judge ourselves. So, since the kids are in here, and we'll make it simple, we're going to have three steps to repentance. Okay? So, number one. Can everybody say number one? I'm wrong. Now, that is really hard to do. Right? It's really hard to do, especially in everything. <laughs> I was gonna say especially in marriage, but it's especially with teenagers, it's hard to say I'm wrong. With, with parents, it's hard to say you're wrong. With your boss, I mean, every, every place you go, unless you're a good person, a mature person, it's hard to admit you're wrong, it's hard to see you're wrong, and it's hard to say you're wrong. One sign of maturity is a person's ability to see what's wrong with them. That's, you can judge yourself by, by how often you're able to see you're wrong, And admit it. Some people would actually rather die than say they're wrong. Have you ever felt that way? I have. Oh yeah, I'd (laughs) rather. Sinners die every day rather than admit they're wrong and in need of a savior. Okay? Saints do things all the time and refuse to admit that they need to change. Now, examples of this are people, rather than admit they're wrong, they would rather ruin their marriage, have their marriage be ruined, than admit that they're wrong. And it happens year after year after year after year after year, and then their marriage is ruined. We would rather not admit that they're wrong, that we're wrong, than change our health habits, our eating habits. People destroy their finances, Because they will not admit they're wrong, and they need to change things. And they need to deal with it. Now, Pastor Terry tells stories about when he was wrong and how he changed things, and people love to hear his stories about when he was wrong. Right? They love to hear it. (laughs) But they will never admit they were wrong themselves. A whole congregation can listen. Oh, yeah, Pastor, you were wrong. That was great. You were wrong. I'm glad you fixed that thing. But nobody in the congregation will say, you know, I was wrong, too. I was wrong, and I need to fix that. Let's turn to Acts, the seventh chapter. You know, people fervently pray. I mean, they get down on their hands and knees and beg and intercede for their spouse to change. For their children to change, for their parents to change, for their boss to change. But seldom pray for themselves to change. Seldom pray for that transforming power to be on the inside of themselves. Acts 7.51 in the Amplified Bible, Stephen is speaking to the religious rulers of the day who would not repent. It says, You stubborn and stiff-necked people, still heathen and uncircumcised in heart and ears, You are always actively resisting the Holy Spirit. So when we will not see, we we will not look into the Word of God and see where we are wrong, the Bible calls us stubborn, stiff-necked, and actively resisting the Holy Spirit. Whew! My sakes! That scares me. That scares me when I will not see that I'm wrong about something. I'm being prideful, stiff necked, stubborn, and I'm actively resisting the Holy Spirit. That scares the living daylights out of me. And it needs to scare the living daylights out of me when I'm stubborn and saying I'm not wrong. (laughs) Need to remember that. One of the main reasons we won't say that we're wrong or admit we're wrong or see that we're wrong is pride. We have pride in our hearts. We all have it to some degree. When we're full of pride, we are really, 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 really good at seeing other people's faults. Really, I mean, we're excellent at it, right? But we're not good at seeing seeing our own faults when we're full of pride. Let's turn to Proverbs, the 24th verse. First chapter, 24th verse. This scripture, the whole uh, chapter, first, uh, first chapter of Proverbs is talking about the word of God calling out to us. Wisdom calling out to us, speaking to us, trying to draw us in. It says in verse 24, I called you so often, but you wouldn't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected the correction I offered. So I will laugh when you are in trouble. I will mock you when disaster overtakes you. Whoa. (laughs) So if God's word is calling out to us, we read God's word and it says something that, that hits our heart. And we're not going to pay heed to it. We're just going to, you know, well, you know, I'm not going to really listen to that one disaster can overtake us you know bad things can happen if we're not going to be willing to listen to the correction of the word of god so i encourage you to read that whole chapter on your own time because god's word is there to enlighten us and show the things that might be wrong on the inside of us and you know it's hard for me to you know uh Say that everybody has faults because some people are just so perfect. You know, you look at them and and they just seem so perfect and so wonderful and so loving. But we all have faults. We all have things that, that you know, are not really good. All of us. And that's why we need a Savior. Do you know that it's an absolute pleasure to be around people? to work with people, to serve with people that can say that they're wrong. Oh, my land sakes. It's such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure. So if you think saying that you're wrong is a sign of weakness or a sign of, you know, a weak character or making mistakes all the time, it's not. It's a sign of maturity, and it's a sign of strength to be able to say that you're wrong. So how do we know we're wrong? We look in the mirror. You know, if, if you want to check and see if your hair's straight or you got your makeup on right, or guys, if you got, if you shaved right, you look in the mirror. So we look in the mirror of God's word to see if our motives, if our actions, if our thoughts are right. We look in the guidebook, God's word. So if you don't look in the mirror of God's word in his guidebook to see if you're wrong or right. You're going to be looking to society, to your friends, to the people at school, to uh, TV, the people on TV, <laughs> and your moral compass will be corrupted. And you don't want this, do you? That, do you? I want you to remember this. It's a really, really, really fearful thing to look into the Word of God and not be able to acknowledge your sin. That is a very scary thing. It means you've hardened yourself to the Word of God. I want you to think about how many times this last year, since maybe the beginning of 2015, that you told somebody that you're wrong, that you were able to admit you were wrong, that you told somebody that you're wrong, somebody that you're really in close contact with. You know, I'm wrong. I'm I'm doing this wrong. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. So let's practice that. Step one, I'm wrong. Now, it wasn't that hard, was it? (laughs) Not hard here. (laughs) So uh, many times we can just barely recognize that we're wrong, but we have a really hard time admitting it to God or to other people. Now, the second part of repentance can be even harder than that. We need the Holy Spirit so much in our hearts to achieve these things. We need the Holy Spirit. Number two is to be sorry. I'm sorry. It's to have godly sorrow over our sin. You know, it's really hard, you know, if you did something, if I, you know, I did something to Pastor Terry, this is, you know, okay, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Could you hear me? (laughs) I'm wrong, I'm sorry. It's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard a lot of times to say you're sorry. It's hard to whisper that out. But it's a whole lot different saying I'm sorry than being totally and completely broken in your heart that you have sinned against God and against somebody else. I'm going to give you a couple examples here. We had a lady years ago, nobody would know who she is, but her teenage daughter made an appointment with us to meet with us. And when she came in, she brought her mother with her, and she came in because her mother was having an affair. And the teenage daughter wanted her mother to stop it. And her mother, you know, she realized that she was wrong and she said she was sorry but she was not going to stop the affair. So she said she was wrong she said she was sorry but she did not have godly sorrow. She was not going to change. How many of you have had instances where you said you were sorry but you were not really really sorry and you were not going to change? Time after time after time after time we've uh, counseled married couples and they could see that, you know, yeah, maybe maybe I'm wrong, you know. I'm sorry. But they're not broken that they have violated God's word. They're not broken on the inside that they have violated the trust between them and their spouse. They're not, they say they're sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, but they're not really broken on the inside. You know, if uh Many times our sorry can be what's called a worldly sorrow. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 7. Like, uh, well, you regret you did it, or you regret you were caught, but it brings about no change in you. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. Now, Paul had written the Corinthians church a very, very hard letter correcting them for some things that they were doing. And Paul says, I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, Results in spiritual death. So you can see there's two kinds of sorrow. There's the kind of sorrow, well, sorry I got caught. You know, I'm sorry, you know, you're saying I'm sorry just to make the other person happy. Have you ever done that? Oh, yeah. And then there's godly sorrow. Godly sorrow requires that we own, we have ownership of our responsibility in sinning and taking responsibility for turning away from that sin. Godly sorrow is a deep brokenness in our hearts that we have sinned against God and sinned against man. If you've not felt this kind of sorrow when you've sinned against God or sinned against, you know, someone here on this earth, I just invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of any sin in your life and to work that godly sorrow in your heart because it is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work that the Holy Spirit needs to do and we, invite, we need to invite him in to do that. And uh, Psalm 51 17 it says the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. O God. So God is looking for a repentant heart. He's not looking for a heart that's right all the time. He's looking for a heart that repents before him and is broken before him. Let's turn to Psalm 32, verse 3. And this is a David talking, and he's talking about uh, what happened after he sinned uh, when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and he had um, Uriah killed. Psalm 32, verse 3, it says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't that show a picture of the process of repentance? You know, well, I finally admit it. I confess it to you. And all our guilt is gone. Can you ask for a better deal than that? No, we can't. So let's practice. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the first te- step step. In repentance is I'm wrong. The second step is I'm sorry. And the third part of repentance is I change. So the third part of repentance is not I'm going to change. It's not I'm working on changing. It's not I'm praying about changing. But it's I change. Now, if you mention change to people, they freeze up freak out and become inflexible if i said right now we're going to change the church everybody would freak out right not everybody most people we've experienced it we know from experience but change is a good thing change is a good thing Change is, let's all say that together. Change is a good thing. Now, we're not too far from Christmas, right? Right? Not too far. Let's think about three traditional Christmas movie characters who saw they were wrong, who were sorry and changed. (sighs) You guys are good. First one, George Bailey. It's a wonderful life. He was always miserable and complaining. He didn't like his job. He didn't like his house. He didn't want so many kids. He didn't like his town, right? When he changed, he said, Get me back, Clarence. I don't care what happens to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, I want to live again. He realized he was wrong. He was sorry, and he changed. He repented. He decided to be happy with his family, his wife, his house, and his kids. Repentance. In the musical Scrooge, our favorite, (laughs) Ebenezer Scrooge saw he was wrong. He was sorry, and he changed. He sang, and I'm not going to sing it, I'll begin again. I will change my fate. I will show the world that it's not too late. I will start anew. I will make amends. I will make quite certain that the story ends on a note of hope, on a strong amen. And I'll thank the world and remember when I was able to begin again. And then he went out, a totally and completely changed man. And then... Even the Grinch, who stole Christmas, saw he was wrong, was sorry and changed. The story goes, maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. And what happened then? Well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through. And the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. And now that his heart didn't feel quite so tight, he whizzed with his load through the bright morning light. With a smile in his soul, he descended Mount Crumpet, cheerily blowing hoo-hoo on his trumpet. He rode into Whoville, he brought back their toys. He brought back their floofs to the Who girls and boys. He brought back their snoofs and their tringlers and fuzzles. He brought everything back, all the food for the feast. And he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beef. The Grinch's actions didn't just change. His heart changed first. And then his actions. My husband is one of the best examples I know of a person who has a repentant heart. If he sees something he's done wrong, he acknowledges it. He's broken in his heart and he changes. He's shared so many of those things with you. Changes in his health, changes in his attitude or his passion for souls. It's a st- sign of tremendous strength and tremendous maturity. I would like to see that kind of soft heart toward the Holy Spirit's conviction always in my heart. And I'd like to see that all in the heart of the congregation that calls Pastor Terry their spiritual leader. Having the capacity to change shows great strength and great character. If you do change, you'll be in the very, very, very small minority of Christians. As pastors, we have seldom heard from Christians the word, I was wrong or I'm sorry. Um, Tony, or Doug Jones, who's been here, uh, several times. He, when he was, well, he, is it Rhema? He uh, conducted the healing school down there for many years. And that's, that's a place where people who have illnesses go and they get built up on the word of God about healing and they get prayed for. And we had asked them, uh, have you found that people coming to healing school, uh, do they make any changes in their lives? And uh, do they change their dedication toward God? Do they change their love for His word? Do they change how they take care of their bodies? And he said, "Almost no one." Even in the face of dying, of having a terminal illness, of having something serious wrong with them, almost no one changes. On 9 11, uh, those of you that were old enough then uh, Many, many, many people called on the name of the Lord for peace, for help. But nobody hardly called on God with godly sorrow and repentance in their heart for what this nation had become. In Revelation, the second chapter, it talks about Jezebel. She was leading other people into sin. The Bible says God gave her time to repent, but she would not. She did not want to repent. She liked what she was doing. How many of us like what we're doing that might not be right? Well, if you can't think of anything, all you have to do is think of ice cream. And lots of ice cream. (laughs) Or whatever, you know, whatever it is. There's things that are sin. That we like to do, everybody knows that. You know, if you if you can't can't get that, you know, I pray that the Holy Spirit shows you. I would love to eat too much ice cream or too much. I like desserts, you know. But if I if I ate a piece of pie every day, it would be sin because I would be destroying my body. You know, there's things that uh, things that we love to do that are sin. And we need to not love those things. We need to love the Lord more. And Jezebel loved the things that she was doing. She loved them and she would not repent. Repentance is necessary to prevent a sinner's ruin. But it's also necessary in a Christian's life. We can abuse the patience of God and harden our hearts to his voice. Repentance... You know, the way I've shown it here, it looks like it can be immediate and that would be the, that would be the goal. That would be what we would strive for. But many times it takes us time to get it. <laughs> to actually do it. And God gives us that space. He's so gracious to us. He's so kind to us. But there is a time when that space is lost. And we have to face the consequences of our sin. For a sinner, that space is lost when they die and go to hell. There's no more time anymore for them to repent. For a saint, our space is lost when our persistence in sin brings destruction in our own lives, in our health, in our families, and in our finances. Now, this is the best illustration of repentance that I can come up with. Okay, you guys ready? Okay, it's January. Not like January right now. It's like January. Okay, it is cold, 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 cold. It's windy and it's snowy. Okay, but you have your dream vacation coming up. Okay, you're going to Hawaii. You've always wanted to go to Hawaii and now you get to go to Hawaii on your dream vacation. You have your beach shoes, you have your tropical funky shirt, you have your beach hat, you have your sunscreen, you have your swimming suit, you have snacks for the plane, you are ready to go. You even have your tour book, right? Because you want to know where you're going to go because you're only going once and you want to make sure that you don't miss anything. So you get to the airport, you leave your coat in the car because you're going to Hawaii, you don't need a coat, right? Uh, you get checked in, and you wait for your flight to board. You are so excited, you can hardly wait. If you were going to Hawaii tomorrow, wouldn't you be excited? I would be excited. I could hardly wait. As the plane starts boarding, you notice a lot of people didn't leave their coats in the car. But they're all bundled up with coats and hats and gloves, and they're just all snuggled up. You just dismiss it, thinking, well... Maybe maybe there's a stop in Colorado and you just didn't realize it. You know, your plane's going to stop. Maybe they're going skiing. You know, they're going to stop and go skiing while you're on your way to Hawaii. Well, everybody takes their seat. You get settled in. The flight attendant starts her instructions. And she's welcoming you to a flight to Dadinka, Siberia. You know how they always tell you the town and they tell you what the weather is there? Where the temperature is minus 12 degrees. How long do you think it would take you to figure out that you were wrong? (laughs) Minus one second. Now this can happen because it happened to Kevin on Home Alone, right? Anyway, suddenly you realize something, you did something wrong. To express your sorrow, you start yelling for the flight attendant. Stop the plane! I'm on the wrong flight! I'm supposed to be going to Hawaii on my dream vacation! I need to get off here right now! Isn't that what you would do? You would get hysterical. You would admit that you made a mistake and you would be sorry that you made that mistake. You are not going to be quiet until that problem is solved and you are on the right plane to Hawaii. So that is a picture of repentance, godly repentance. You get on the wrong plane. That's sin. I'm wrong. You realize the flight is wrong. You realize that you sinned against God. I change. You leave that plane and you get on the right plane. That's obedience to God. So today, I want to invite you to change your plane if you're walking in sin in some area of your life. And most all of us have things that we need to work on and things that we need to change. I invite you to repent today and change your plane. If you're sinning and you don't feel any remorse... Our, our sorrow in your heart, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin and bring about that godly sorrow and that godly brokenness. Let's all stand up. I'm just going to read again First 1 John 1, nine, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You can turn on the altar call music, please. I just want to invite you all to come up here today. If you have something that you need to get right with God, if you have something you need to confess, if there's something you need to admit that you're wrong, there's something